0: Hello there, servus. My name is Hyshan Wade, and you're listening to This Week in Geopolitics, where we take a look at the events of yesterday and detail how they paint the geopolitical reality of today. And today, we are going to talk about the mess that has befallen geopolitics around the globe, and it's all centered around leaves, because it's fall. I'm no. no. <laughs> It's centered around the usual suspects of 2020. It's America and COVID-19. We'll get back to that in just a moment. All right, we're gonna to start today with a brief overview of Europe. Uh, And we'll start with Denmark, as about 216 Danish mink farms have become a breeding ground for a mutated strain of COVID. And for those of you who don't know what minks are, uh, they're like weasels or ferrets. They're part of the same animal family. And Denmark plans to cull up to 17 million of them in order to stop the spread of this mutated coronavirus strain. And, well, they're getting hit with travel bans from the UK, and Scotland in particular. Meanwhile, uh, France's Macron, and Macron is their Prime Minister, he has beefed up French border security in the wake of the beheadings and general unrest within the Muslim community in France. You know, we talked about this um, a couple episodes ago. And by a couple, I'm pretty sure I mean last time. But, um, yeah. So, he's beefing up border security. And he actually doubled the staff of the border security from uh, about 2,400 personnel to 4,800 personnel. So, cool. wow. Things have taken quite the turn in France. Uh, we can blame COVID. We can blame long building tensions between them and their Muslim community. Meanwhile, in brighter news, however, Dr. Bruce Aylward, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, Bruce Aylward, uh, uh, Dr. Bruce is the World Health Organization Senior Advisor. He says that the Pfizer vaccine could be 90% effective at preventing COVID-19. And Fitzer is going to apply for emergency use approval. Uh, They're, I believe, an American company, so they have to uh, get approval from the FDA. So they're trying to get emergency use approval later this month. And according to ABC, the earliest that they can attempt to get that okay would be the third week of November so we're in week number two right now yeah we're in week number two right now so that we could be seeing them file the okay next week and with uh, operation warp speed going on uh, that was Uh, The Trump administration's basically fast-tracking the vaccine development and treatments and whatnot. Uh, With that in effect, I expect the Pfizer vaccine to likely be approved relatively shortly. So, perhaps the end of COVID is in sight, and we can see now the light at the end of the tunnel. And Trump will be in office until January 20th. Uh, at the under uh, the, the assumption that he has lost the election, he'll still be there till tw- January 20th. So plenty of time to put the vaccine on the production lines. And that is unless he pulls a victory out of his butt. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, likely to keep Operation Warp Speed in effect, and COVID could potentially have its ending party now uh while we are talking about the rest of the world before we get into the u.s elections we're going to talk about the un and they are going through a human rights review of america's human rights record on monday now the participants include about 120 nations and among them Some certain players have been more than enthusiastic to criticize the United States. You can probably guess a couple on the list. I have, what is this? I have five, really six, but I didn't put the other one on this list right here, but I will bring them up in a minute. We have Iran, China, Turkey, Russia, Afghanistan, and North Korea. These are the most notable critics of America's human rights record. and what are they criticizing specifically well the chinese have chosen to focus on u.s border facilities and they have brought up the migrant children and the cages for border detention facilities for people who cross the border illegally they brought that up and asked how many people have died in these detention facilities iran Wants an end to the sanctions that have been placed on them. Turkey, uh, they target rising xenophobia and anti Semitism. This episode was brought to you by Leaves. Uh, Turkey targets rising xenophobia and anti Semitism in the United States. And Afghanistan hits at racism and discrimination against ethnic and religious minorities. And my response to all of this is that is rich coming from all of them. Absolutely rich. China, especially in their Uyghur facilities in Xinjiang, Turkey, and racism? I wonder how they feel about the Armenians, the Afghans, and discrimination against religious minorities. Religious minorities. When non Muslims in Afghanistan are barred from certain activities and Muslims are not a religious minority in Afghanistan, Iran actually does have a valid complaint regarding the endless economic sanctions, which I myself also don't like. North Korea expressed concerns over US violations at home and abroad, and I can partially agree with that, you know. The endless wars in the Middle East probably aren't helping the record, and I would like those to end as well. But, my biggest takeaway from all of this is that isolationism looks better by the day. Maybe you'll agree with me. Just turn it up, turn off all the news. Pretend the rest of the world doesn't exist. We did it before, we can do it again, will we? It'll be a nice little vacation from the rest of the world. Who knows? Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it'll happen. If they give us a, a bad grade on our human rights record, America just walks away. But while we're on the topic of the U.S., we can hop on into the mess that is the U.S. 2020 elections. You read the title. And here we are. (laughs) The election. And what I believe to be the Democrats' last hoorah. What do I mean by that? I mean that the Democratic Party is likely fractured beyond repair at this point. And I had been observing this uh, after I had heard someone else mention it. I think it was Peter Zion, I know I bring him up a lot, he's right a lot, and when I started looking for that myself, I noticed that there were at least two fractures. There were the uh, establishment, the neoliberals, they're the faction of the democrat party that has been in power for the last couple decades, and they're still currently in power now, Although that power is fading. Then there was faction number two. The progressive socialist types in the Democrat party. Who made their presence known in 2016 with Bernie Sanders. In 2016 they had to cheat to keep Sanders from winning but his supporters didn't go away. They're still there. So that's two factions that nearly tore the Democrat Party apart. But then, in the summer of this year, just a couple months ago, a movement upgraded and evolved into a political movement. And that was... Well, they upgraded from a social to a political movement. And that was Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter took um the country by storm after the death of george floyd and became really popular until the riots happened their popularity has been waning since but they are still there and they are not voting republican they are democrat which means there is a third faction within the the democrat party that doesn't like that doesn't that also doesn't like the neoliberal um, establishment politicians who have been in power for the past couple decades. they are The Black Lives Matter types are also hostile to the current party leadership. Now, Black Lives Matter isn't necessarily on the ballot this time around because the primaries were basically already over when they evolved into a political movement, but We'll see where they are in four years. Well, actually, really, two years when the next midterms happen. They could put themselves in positions of um, power. But they are a third faction who currently doesn't exactly have representation within the party, but they're making demands of that party. And the unity of the Democrat Party is falling apart. And now... In the wake of the 2020 presidential elections, there is now a fourth faction, a faction that was there from the beginning, but remained silent and complicit with the party leadership. They are now breaking. They are the moderates. The moderates who campaigned on uh, kitchen table issues, and many of whom were ejected from office, Uh, this election cycle because of well they blame the party leadership for taking them down the path of impeachment for taking them down the path of socialism and entertaining socialism and taking them down the path of defund the police so there is a fourth faction one that used to be complicit with the party leadership and is now breaking ranks there's four factions battling for control over this one party. I don't think they're going to be able to reconcile that. Um, I really don't. The Black Lives Matter and socialist-type Democrats aren't going to do, really, what the neoliberal Democrats want. And the neoliberals cannot rely... can They can no longer rely on the moderates to help give them the... The oomph in terms of numbers to force their agenda through the party and they can't do it anymore So there's a fracture That I don't think they're gonna be able to reconcile with especially given the history of uh, The elite party leadership on both sides prior to the 2016 election due to their unwillingness to really do anything that was actually useful for American people So, I see them on their way, the neoliberals, on their way out or into a dramatic minority position within the party, assuming the party is able to hold together at the very least in name only. One Democrat who, she's one of the moderates, she managed to narrowly win her re-election, she basically went off on the Democrat, on her fellow Democrats, saying, and I quote, We need to never use the words socialist or socialism ever again. She later went on to state that we lost good members because of that. She also then said that defunding police hurt us. This uh, Democrat was Abigail Spanberger and she was basically spitting truth to power. Those hurt them and they have been losing seats to the Republicans and their House majority is now in danger. And I'll get to that in just a moment. And she, this, uh, Abigail went on to say after that, we need to learn a lesson from this cycle or, quote, we will be effing torn apart in 2022. Another Democrat who managed to, uh, I believe, managed to win re-election but she was having conversations with others who didn't win their reelections started to cry. Mukarso Powell, and she criticized the other Dems of uh, basically, uh, how should I say it, dramatizing their beefs with the other politicians that they didn't agree with, namely the Republicans. And she said, please pick up the phone and talk to that person if you don't agree with them instead of posting to social media. She also went on to complain about the polling data that they had to work with that suggested that it was going to be an easy win for them and instead they started losing members left and right and they want answers now. Other worrying signs for the Democrats and I mentioned this before is that they are losing the House. Now, they still have the majority now, but the gap is way smaller. It's way smaller, and there's still room for the Republicans to seize control of the House. There's enough seats open for the Republicans to take it. And given the signs at the state level, they just might be able to pull that off. Now, what is going on in the Senate the Democrats thought they were going to be able to flip it and keep the house, but instead they are it's looking like they're losing the house and they are failing to flip the Senate. The even though the Republicans actually had more seats up for re-election in the Senate than the Democrats did. It's looking like the Republicans are either going to hold on to a narrow majority or it's going to be 50-50. And if it's 50-50, and Joe Biden is uh, inaugurated in January, the Democrats can work with that. Because when there's a tie in the Senate, the Vice President then acts as the tiebreaker. However, if Trump does manage to pull this victory out of his butt, and it's looking like a long shot right now, but if he manages to do it, then Pence will remain the tiebreaker if the Senate is tied. And that means the Republicans win, especially if they take the House. Now, speaking of Republicans, they have flipped the New Hampshire state legislature and even gained a trifecta in the state. I mentioned the Democrats were losing really, really badly on the state level uh, legislatures. And to those who don't know what a trifecta is, that's when a single party has control over the legislatures uh both chambers of the legislature in a state and the governorship of a state and the Republicans flipped New Hampshire so hard that they gained a trifecta because New Hampshire, I believe, the, was held uh, by Democrats, the House and Senate of the state. And I believe the governorship, I'm not entirely sure about the governorship, but what I do know is that the Republicans now hold all three in New Hampshire. And Why do I what I bring up New Hampshire specifically? I bring it up because Not a single state legislature flipped to Democrats but New Hampshire flipped to the Republicans giving them a slightly larger majority share of State legislatures held by the Republican Party now uh, they already had the majority, but now it's slightly larger after the Democrats lost New Hampshire. Again, this is at the state level. Now, out of 99 legislatures, and this is the general assemblies of each state and their senates, 60 of which were held by Republicans versus 38 held by by Democrats, and a fun fact as to why there's an odd number of legislatures, despite there being an even number of states, is that Nebraska actually only has a single legislative body rather than two, like the other states. They have a single one, and it's held by the Republicans. So, there's that. An interesting thing that was brought up by Tim Pool, and I was watching him the other day. He mentioned that the redistricting and post-census, because this is a census year right now, 2020, the redistricting that's going to happen starting next year, it's likely to heavily favor the Republicans because they control the legislatures and they will probably maintain control of the state-level legislatures for at least two years. And well Gerrymandering in favor of the Republicans Which will make it easier for them to win And harder for the Democrats to win Which means We could be looking at a Republican decade Really It's It's a a massive swing It's quite the massive Not even swing It's a massive victory Especially if again Trump through his lawsuits, manages to win back the presidency. And I'll tell you right now, my gut feeling says he's probably going to be able to do it. And I'll t- I'll say why in a moment. But back to the major losses for the Democrats, who are celebrating right now because it looks like they have the presidency and the news and news media have Uh, Declared Biden the president-elect, and they've declared him the winner of the election But the state electors of the Electoral College Have not decided a winner yet And that's why Trump is even suing in the first place Uh, Well, that's why he's even able to sue in the first place Because the election actually isn't over yet And Just me saying that has probably given away my political affiliation, if it hasn't leaked through in my previous episodes. But... But leaves. But he does have a path to victory, and given his track record of beating the Democrats, I'm... I'm more likely to say that he'll win than he won't win. I'll just put that there. Again, I'll get into why I believe this in a moment. But for now, we're going to go back to these state legislatures. And when you break these state legislatures down uh, to the Senate and House, it goes like this. 31 state senates uh, to 18 state senates. Republican advantage with one undecided. And then when you go to the state house, the state house legislatures, it is 29 Republican, 19 Democrat with two undecided. And the undecideds look like they're probably going to lean Republican for the most part. So that could give them even bigger advantages and again, even bigger power when it comes down to the redistricting. And we could be looking at some serious changes in this country moving forward given that massive mandate that the Republicans have been given. And now we'll move on to Trump's Gambit for the presidency in just a moment. All right. All right Trump's gambit for the presidency or more accurately his gambit for a second term Now what is he trying to do? He is moving forward with legal challenges and demands for recounts and investigations in a multitude of states Georgia Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin are chief among the list of states that he uh, is going to sue. And they are basically, the lawsuits themselves are already basically confirmed. As well as recounts in Georgia are already ongoing. Now, apparently the ballots, the legal ones, have been watermarked in some way or form um, by the Department of Justice. So. In time, when the recounts uh, happen in earnest, there's probably going to be some agent there uh, looking for the watermark. It probably can't see it. And the best way I could describe the what the watermarks are probably going to be like, it's like uh, some countries, uh, their paper currencies. If you hold them up to like the sunlight, you can see the specific watermark. Uh, I think the Canadian dollar does that, but I'm not entirely sure. But when you hold it up to, like, the sunlight, you can see what you wouldn't otherwise see on the paper. And that is uh, the watermark. And you could probably use, you could probably see it with, like, an infrared or ultraviolet light if you were actively looking for that watermark. Now... The DOJ, however, won't be able to step in to do that and, you know, look for those watermarks. Because they can't step in until 10 days after the election. So, and I learned about that a couple days ago. And basically now, it's me watching what's going to happen from Friday onwards. I can't tell if they're going to step in on Friday or Saturday. But, so long as Trump has the election in dispute, that opens the door for them to come in and investigate. And if I'm being completely honest about the way I feel about it, he's likely to come out on top. And, why do I say that? I say it because in the past one and a half years that I've actually been paying attention to uh, U.S. politics, so... The end of my junior year and my senior year in high school, every time the Democrats challenge him, they lose. And right around the time that I actually started paying attention to uh, the politics in my country was about a couple months before the Russiagate investigation uh, came to an end and Robert Mueller submitted his, basically, his results. And the results were, after two and a half years of investigations, nothing. He The only thing he had was that he couldn't rule out potential obstruction of Congress, but he couldn't rule it in either. So that was essentially nothing. And well trump basically allowed him to investigate for as long as he wanted and he came with he came back with nothing so that was the first defeat that i was actually paying attention to and when i actually uh when i looked back there were two other uh defeats that the democrats had suffered to him which was uh, the Stormy Daniels scandal that I'd forgotten completely about and the Brett Kavanaugh scandal where they had brought him to testify and there were a whole bunch of sexual assault allegations levied against him but the person levying those allegations couldn't remember a single thing about the details of where and when it the so-called sexual assault happened. I'm, I'm dancing around my terms here. But, so that was two right off the bat, and three after I'd started paying attention. And immediately after Russia Gate, they pretended that they didn't lose, and they went on to, just a couple months later, uh, Ukraine Gate. Where President Trump had called... This was right after the Ukrainian elections. President Trump had called the new prime president of Ukraine. Or was it a prime minister? I'm not entirely sure. I'll just call him president. But he called him. And they, the Democrats then challenged him for calling the president of the Ukraine. Saying that there was corruption and quid pro quo involved. And they ended up trying to investigate him for another time and they that led to the impeachment and impeachment started off really strong millions of people were tuning in to watch the impeachment hearings it caught the nation's attention well half the nation's attention and that did not end very well for the Democrats in fact, when they voted to impeach him, they lost sitting office. They, they lost Democrats who were in office. They lost three, I believe. Uh, two of them went independent. And the other one straight up flipped to become a Republican. His name was Jeff Van Drew. There we go. Jeff Van Drew. And he just won his reelection. So he defied the party leadership, went Republican, and then wins re-election. Because it was in question whether or not he would at the time. Uh, but I guess there's no question anymore. He's He won his re-election. The Democrats lost three party members in the impeachment. And then when they were done with impeachment, and, and I mean the House, because the Democrats held the House... Nancy Pelosi sat on the articles of impeachment uh, basically asking uh, for Mitch McConnell, who is the majority leader in the Senate, which was controlled by the Republicans, she was basically demanding that he do what she wanted, or else she wouldn't send the articles, but he refused, obviously, and she sent the articles anyway, and President Trump ended up getting acquitted in the Senate, right before, uh, this was like mid to late January, uh, the uh, when he got acquitted, and right after that he gave the Union the State of the Union address, and the only thing that the Democrats could muster up at that point was Nancy Pelosi ripping up the State of the Union address while the rest of the party sat down during parts when the the audience was applauding. It was a sight to behold. It was quite the sight to behold. And very funny. It was funny to watch. But that was all they had. And then we got smacked with COVID. And COVID has been a weak point for the administration, the Trump administration, uh, since the beginning. Because every time the infection rates go up they use the infections rate against him every time the death counter goes up they use the deaths against him and there's you really can't say anything to that if someone came up to you and said 200,000 people died on your watch there's not exactly much you can say I think that he and Pence during the vice presidential debates they did the best that they could really because there, was, I didn't see a way they could get out of that. But I believe that they argued the best that they could. It was it was kind of a losing battle. It was a chink in the armor, a weak point, a weak spot that the Democrats exploited. But that's the best they could do, because Trump uh, initiated what was it? The largest, the greatest mobilization of U.S. industry since World War II to fast track the virus. Not not the virus, the virus vaccine, uh, Operation Warp Speed, and basically he is that's the basically that's the reason we are talking about a vaccine coming out now in November because he pushed it through really really quickly so they could get to stage three trials and we could basically get out of COVID as quickly as possible, but. They, they tried, they really tried to fight him every time, but they, I don't know what it is, it's like they don't learn. They attack him in the exact same way that they did the last time, but the last time failed. And I, I don't understand it, but I, every time I watch them do it, it's funny. And then they lose, and then they lose, and then they lose, and then he gets on stage and goes winning, winning, winning. <laughs> but I, I just really can't shake this feeling That even though it looks like he's going to lose He's gonna pull the W out of his ass I, I just can't shake the feeling Because every other time And we, we can go all the way back to the 2016 election itself Every other time the Democrats managed to seize defeat from the jaws of victory. And I I just don't have the faith that they've figured out how to stop right now. How to stop losing and sabotaging themselves. I mean, come on now. They defund the police and socialism. Ne- lost a whole bunch of them re-election. They shot themselves in the foot. They, Speaking of which, defund the police that was popular, apparently. Supporting the Black Lives Matter was really popular at the beginning of the summer. And Trump says law and order. Now at first, he started off catching flack. They started off, it looked like he was losing until people started learning about the riots and support for Black Lives Matter plummeted. And lo and behold, Trump was winning to so much so to the extent that Democrats, and I mentioned this earlier, were complaining that defunding the police hurt them in their bid for reelection. Trump won again. And then you get to COVID. Well, well speaking of which, did anyone else notice how quick COVID disappeared after the election? <laughs> you got masses of people who were complaining about how if you wanted to go outside, if you wanted to not wear a mask, you were trying to kill Grandma. Well, now they're out there making Grandma drop like flies. Because <laughs> I saw the uh, Biden acceptance speech, and we'll, again we'll see where this election goes. Saw his election spe- his uh, acceptance speech, and there were a, a massive crowd of people around him. Now those people were nowhere to be found during his rallies. Uh, while he was campaigning, but now they're here. They're in bulk. They're half wearing masks. They're not socially distancing whatsoever. Uh oh And I just think it's very interesting how quickly COVID had disappeared. And someone brought it up. Uh, uh, Someone brought it up that I was watching uh, that the COVID counter has disappeared from the the sidebar on the mainstream news channels. And it's true. COVID is nowhere to be found anymore. Well, we we know it's there. It's just apparently they've admitted that they don't care anymore. And they've come around to where the other half of the country was. And I uh, hey. Look, I think it's very interesting how that goes. All right. I think it's very, very interesting. But again, that's just another point on which Trump won. He won on COVID, even though that was his weakest, the weakest point in his administration. they, They got hammered with COVID over and over and over again. And in the debates, he goes, he's saying that we're rounding the turn, we're rounding the corner. And now they are literally using that language when they define, when they talk about the vaccine, saying we're rounding the turn, it's almost here. And again, they're, they're going to be filing, uh, FITZER. They're going to be filing for the green light to start. Uh, what is it? Administering or producing the vaccine. Whichever one, uh, they're going to they're going to be filing for the green light in about a week and once that happens covid will really start to go away for the people who choose to get the vaccine there are plenty of people who don't want it and but there are also plenty of people that do and while we're on the topic of the vaccine i have put money where my mouth is and i expect returns i'll just say that much okay i'm not i'm not giving investment advice I'm just saying, I expect to make money. I've been dabbling, I've been dabbling. One of these days, one of these days, I'll get my big break, and then I'll retire, retire from life, and go build a pyramid in the middle of nowhere, and sit in it while playing Minecraft all day. But in the meantime, (laughs) in the meantime, I'm going to talk to you about geopolitical news. But... Yeah, every time they challenge him, they lose, even when it looks like Trump is the one who's losing, for the longest period of time, and then suddenly he wins. So, I really just can't, after witnessing all that, and after figuring out those last couple examples just this morning, when I was putting compiling my news together... I can't shake the feeling that he's somehow, or rather I should say, that the Democrats are somehow going to seize defeat from the jaws of victory. I can't shake the feeling that that's exactly what's going to happen and people are going to lose their minds if it does. Meanwhile, the, hmm, how how would I describe the situation, how would I describe, I have a note here saying to describe my feeling on the situation and put it into something that people can understand really and well ah the how okay there we go there we go the best way i could describe the situation currently would be when napoleon took moscow and i felt this same way back uh when the black lives matter riots first started And they got their victory, and they were starting to paint BLM in the streets everywhere. It felt to me like when Napoleon took Moscow. Now, maybe this is just because I'm still partially obsessed with the uh, documentary series that Epic History TV did on the subject, but that's the impression I get, and that has. And we know what happened to Napoleon when he had to retreat from Moscow. It was catastrophic. A catastrophic defeat that Black Lives Matter is suffering now. And that I feel, I don't know if I fear, but I feel that the Democrats are going to lose in just a matter of either weeks or days. Because, again, the Department of Justice comes in um, 10 days after the election. And it's not looking like trump's going to concede before that happens so i expect them to go in they're probably going to go hunting down those watermarks and we're probably going to see lots of improprieties that could flip potentially millions of votes to trump cuz in michigan there was a glitch that flipped uh, 6 th- in one county there's a glitch that flipped 6000 votes that were supposed to go to trump to biden and 47 counties in Michigan used that same software, and 30 states use that software as well, we could see something ridiculous in the coming days. We could see something absolutely ridiculous, and that's with the turnout that he already managed to gather. Again, this is under the assumption that he manages to pull it off. I do think that they'll find something. Maybe Biden still wins, even if there's some you know, fraud or corruption or just dirty games in general because let's be honest, this is politics maybe he still does win, you know Uh, that's always a possibility but again, I cannot shake the feeling that the Democrats are self-sabotaging because they've been very excellent at doing so for the past couple months well, really the past couple years and now that I think about it the, the reason that Trump was able to get Amy Coney Barrett through the Senate was because the Democrats changed the rules so that you didn't need a supermajority in the Senate to approve um, Supreme Court justices. You only needed a simple majority. And the Republicans had a simple majority. And that's the Democrats lost again. I, I can't shake the feeling that they're going to lose now. And it's going to be ridiculous. It's going to be huge. And it's going to be very, 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 very fun and entertaining to cover when I do the episode afterwards. (laughs) But meanwhile, Trump in his gambit for the presidency, uh, he'll probably come out on top. I mean, he's probably going to win. I told you why I believe the Democrats are going to lose, but let's talk about why I think he's going to win. He has a, there's a six to three conservative majority in the Supreme Court. Now, one of those um, judges who uh, tends to switch, he tends to be a flip-flopper between the more liberal justices and the more conservative justices, but with Amy Coney Barrett on there and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg gone, even if he were to flip to the more liberal side of the court, that would still leave a 5-4 to four majority in favor of the more conservative-leaning judges. Three of those conservative-leaning judges uh, are Trump nominees. And that would be Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, uh, come on, come on, brain, come on. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh. And Neil Gorsuch. There we go. I was blanking on his name. I was going to say him second, but then I... I blanked, so I have to go to Brett Kavanaugh. Those are three nominees put on the court by Trump. If it comes down to their vote, they're probably going to go for Trump. And I've learned more recently, again, watching Tim Pool, that one of the more liberal-leaning justices has, uh, let's just say, unpleasant relations with Joe Biden. So that could be a potential hate vote against Joe Biden on the Supreme Court. Now, the courts are supposed to be impartial, but we're talking about people here. So that's four. That's four out of the five that would be needed to basically, oh, I don't know, send it to, oh, all right, four out of the five needed to send the vote to the House. Now, when that happens, if the election, if they can prove that there was enough fraud and enough trickery and tomfoolery going on in the election, the Supreme Court could send the results of the election to the House, um, in which case each state would get one representative to vote for their guy. Texas and California only get one vote. New York only gets one vote. Illinois, Tennessee, Wyoming, they only get one vote. So I'll bring it back to all those state legislatures that are currently in Republican hands, and the Republicans picked up one. If the states have to decide to send a delegate to vote for the president, the Republicans will win because they hold a majority of state legislatures. They hold a majority of states, and that's how... That's one of the reasons they're able to win in the electoral college, even without the popular vote, because it's re- uh, the U.S. election is a series of state elections that go towards uh, electors that go towards the president. States with bigger populations have more elector or electoral votes. Cuts the your Senate members, which every state has two of, plus House representatives, which are population based, but When you have states that have a bare minimum number that they can have, which is three, two senators, one representative, if you were able to grab a large enough coalition of states, you can win the election. And that's how Trump did it in 2016, despite losing the popular vote. Because there's a lot of people in the more blue-leaning states, and Texas can't uh, account, they they can't, um, what's the word? They can't. Texas alone can't compensate for California and New York. Texas and Florida combined can't compensate for both of those either. But when you have enough states, you can win the electoral college. But in this instance, it wouldn't even be the electoral college. It would be a series of electors. And I, I understand how convoluted that sounds. It would be every state gets one. So considering that there's what, 29, 30 uh, states whose legislatures are held by the Republicans 31 senates held by Republican 29 houses held Republican the Republicans have a fat advantage if it comes down to states sending a single delegate to vote for their guy the Republicans are going to win if if The Trump and his fat stack of legal, uh, his fat stack of lawyers are able to push the election all the way up to the Supreme Court, and it comes down to that he's going to win. Now, Pennsylvania is probably going to be the key to getting there, because Pennsylvania uh, is acting in violate the Pennsylvania court. Uh, They have their every state has their own Supreme Court. They are in violation of the U.S. Constitution and Pennsylvania state law. Now, the U.S. Constitution says that courts cannot change law or legislate. It also says that legislatures determine how elections are conducted. And the Pennsylvania Supreme Court violated that when it said that... It, it, could, it extended that the deadline for ballots being received. It violated that. And then Pennsylvania law says that ballots cannot be received after 8 p.m. So the Pennsylvania Supreme Court violated the U.S. Constitution and Pennsylvania law. So that right there is enough of a case to take it to the Supreme Court. For Trump to take the election to the Supreme Court. Now, and there is a... Uh, oh, here we go. There's, you know we do speculation on this channel. This channel. Now, now we're on YouTube suddenly. We know you know we do speculation, and there are rumblings from the Q and on types that this is some massive sting operation. Now let's run with that idea. You know, let's let's get conspiratorial, shall we? Let's let's go all the way down the rabbit hole. If that is true, this will be the biggest sting operation in history, and for those who don't know what a sting operation is, it's basically when the police or law enforcement show up to a site where a crime where they feel or that they believe a crime is going to happen they allow the crime to happen so that they have basic so that they have uh, the authority to move in immediately and detain people so that would be a sting operation imagine uh, the police lying in wait uh, while a, in a location where drugs are being dealt and they allow the process to happen so that they can watch the crime happen and then they have eyewitness testimony from themselves and then they go in. Because many states, they have the authority to do that. If this is true, a whole lot of people are in trouble. A whole lot of people. Uh, The tech companies that are actively censoring people who speak out against the results of the election, which actually haven't been determined yet. So really, people who speak out against Joe Biden, you have the news companies who have called and are called the election for Joe Biden and are pretending that he is the winner when, again, the election hasn't been decided. And, uh, what is it? Democrats who have been complicit in the engineering of, say, potential fraud. Again, we don't necessarily know if there is fraud quite yet. But that's what the investigations are for. A lot of people would be in trouble. If that was true. Now, whether or not it ends up being true, who knows. If it is, we will have something to talk about on that day. But... Oh, my neighbors are back. But, let's go back to what we can discern from what we see. If Trump is successful in his bid, he will basically be in charge of a massive Republican mandate. Because, again, they have the state-level legislatures. They will likely hold the Senate. If not, it'll be a tie. And if Trump wins, that makes Pence the tiebreaker. If he wins the republicans will have a massive mandate a mandate so massive that they could pass constitutional amendments and when i was reading through trump's second term agenda back when it came out what i think it was in like august one of the things that caught my attention was term limits for congress and i've been trying to figure out how an how on earth would he be able to do that? Because you wouldn't want to make it like a law that Congress has to pass because then they could just vote to remove their own term limits. It would have to be a, an amendment. So how do you get an amendment through? Well, if he has a mandate this huge, he could do it. If the Democrats are fractured, after he if he wins, he could do it. And he would in essence drain the swamp very it'd be very interesting to look out for if again if he wins which i feel that he will but he still might not and if he wins it will be a solidification and a vindication of his policies and his beliefs rather than a repudiation like many people are saying, it has been. Now, if he is unsuccessful, then Biden is. Uh, okay, let's be honest. Biden's probably not going to be in there for very long because Nancy Pelosi brought up the 25th Amendment. But apparently, in order to utilize the 25th Amendment, you would need the vice presidency's okay. So, you're not going to be able to get that through Pence. But you could get it through Kamala Harris. Kamala is Biden's running mate. So if Biden, so if after Biden wins, they finally come around and say, you know what, he's mentally unfit for the job, and we're going to do the 25th Amendment, and Kamala gives the green light, which, if we've been paying attention to her during the primaries when she called him a racist. <laughs> It's not too far-fetched to say that she would just oust him and take the presidency for herself. Because, let's be honest, Biden is in mental decline. Maybe it's not as bad as many on the more right-leaning spectrum have said it, it is, but we can see the decline just from the primaries to now. He gets removed. Kamala Harris becomes the 26th president of the United States. And the first female president. So, there's that. And the long run, this would prolong the takeover of nationalist, populist sentiments, at least in America. And it's the rise of nationalism, and populism appears to be a global trend that is coming to light, coming to head in France, at the very least. As we can see in the last. I covered that in the last couple episodes. And. The resuming of lockdowns, because that's what they say that they want to do. And the scientists, despite the World Health Organization saying otherwise, uh, scientists at the national level are saying, let's go for a lockdown. The, the scientists that people are that the government is listening to are saying lockdowns. So uh, likely more lockdowns coming if Biden does hold on to the presidency, And by hold on to, I mean actually verifiably wins the presidency. The lockdowns would cripple the American economy. And it'd be a not-so-fun time. At least for a while. But hey, at least we'd have the vaccine. But, um... Yeah. That's what I see. I do see him... Uh, he says he wanted to return to the Paris Climate Accords and renegotiate the Iran nuclear deal and potentially go back to the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Not too much on the TPP, but the other two Joe Biden has said he wanted to do. And maybe if even if he gets ousted, Kamala will step in to do that for him. Who knows? But... Uh, but uh, I think we're going through a bit of a transformational moment. This is going to be a moment for the history books. And I'll get into why and some of the responses of other world leaders in a moment. Alright, we're back. And now we get to some of the responses of world leaders to the election. And part of why this will be a transformational moment Well, one for the history books. Uh, It'll largely determine the fate of U.S. foreign policy for the next four years. And that could have dramatic impacts on, well, America. Especially as tensions around the world keep building. You have France in the Middle East. You have France and Britain. Britain and the whole of the EU. You have Russia and Turkey in the Caucasus. Turkey and France in Greece in the eastern Mediterranean. You have China in the Himalayas with India, the real Cold War brewing. China in the South China Sea with the larger anti-China coalition forming against them. Tensions around the world are building. And these next four years of foreign policy could really shape how things, well, shake down. On the global stage, and what that would mean for America doesn't mean uh, a stronger economy with a bigger manufacturing base, or does it mean perpetual lockdowns in fear of COVID, in spite of a vaccine? So, and that's we'll see where that we'll see where things go, but for now, uh, I was watching the Duran, and they had brought up how Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping, the presidents of Russia and China respectively, they have yet to comment on the US election. And I thought that was interesting, and so I decided to see who has, uh, how other world leaders have responded to the US election. Now, the Prime Minister of Australia, uh, the Prime Minister of Israel, And Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of the UK, they have all congratulated Joe Biden on his victory. Now, the German Economic Minister says that he is concerned that uncertainty in America will last until spring. And while I'm not entirely sure that it'll last till spring, uh, it's definitely going to be uncertainty until at least inauguration day in january 20th of 2021 but on the other end of the spectrum we have a list of leaders who have also gone silent and that is lopez obrador of mexico erdogan of turkey jair bolsonaro of brazil and of course vladimir putin and xi jinping and it was Their silence that partially um, led me to my Napoleon comparison, because it's like, you have people who believe the war is over, and then others that remain silent while the battle goes on. And it's kind of eerie, a bit of an eerie silence, because someone brought up that Putin congratulated Trump almost immediately after his victory. But now you have all these world leaders who are quite influential. uh, Russia, China, Turkey, Brazil, and Mexico. A fast and growing economy. They've all gone silent. And they're waiting for the final result. That's what I believe they're waiting for. Lopez Obrador says that he can work with uh, either candidate. But the fact that he hasn't congratulated Joe. And well none of them have congratulated Joe, tells you where their hopes are lying. Whether you believe that Trump is a a puppet of Putin or if you believe that this is just a coalition of nationalist populist leaders who are staying silent in, well, some sort of silent solidarity with another nationalist populist leader, uh, that is up for you to decide my I myself, well, I myself I don't know quite why they have decided to remain silent. I can put together like um like my thoughts, it's like say Putin likely doesn't want to go disturbing Putin and Xi Jinping really likely don't want to go doing something crazy. Putin under the auspices that. Uh, Biden could actually be the president and he would see more interference on his southern periphery in the Caucasus and Xi likely not wanting to do something crazy and then Trump pulls the W and goes harder on China, smacking them with bigger tariffs. So I can see why they would remain silent. As for Mexico, well, Mexico is right there on the border, so I guess there's a reason to really sit and wait to see who actually wins. But as far as Turkey and Brazil go, I cannot discern why specifically they would hold their breath. But I guess holding holding your breath is the, uh, the theme of the day, really, with 2020. You never know what the hell is going to happen. Uh, maybe Trump pulls out the W, maybe he doesn't, and he just tears everything down on his way out, but the only thing we know about, the only thing that we've learned from 2020, the only thing that we know in this year is that we know nothing, and anything can happen, so I'll keep my eyes out, and uh, I'll keep updating you on what we, what I see every Monday right here on This Week in Geopolitics. And maybe we'll be dealing with the leaves probably for about a couple more weeks. And then we'll be dealing with uh, snow, maybe. Who knows how winter is these days. Nowadays we get uh, snowfall in March. Oh well. But that's all I have for today. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast, today's broadcast on my geopolitical podcast. And as we say, and as we know, the world is changing, and we're going to have fun watching it together. I've been your host, High Sean Wade, and you've been listening to This Week in Geopolitics. So, till we meet again next Monday, Servus. <music>